and welcome to Everybody's National Parks, an audio travel guide aimed to inspire you and your family to visit America's national parks and help you get the most out of your park experience. This is your host, Danielle. This is a bonus episode for Black in National Parks Week, which is August 24th through August 29th. This is a joint interview phone call with Everybody's National Parks and Hello Ranger with Nicole Jackson of Black Birders Week to talk about this upcoming week's events. Now let's get to the conversation. Hi, I'm Danielle, the host of Everybody's National Parks, your audio guide to the national parks, inspiring families to visit and like a ranger in your pocket. I'm so excited to be here today with Brad Kerouac and Nicole Jackson. I'm going to turn it over to Brad to introduce himself. Hi, I'm Brad Kerouac and the co-host of Hello Ranger. We are a National Parks podcast, app, and blog where we celebrate diversity in nature. Today, we're talking with Nicole Jackson of Black Birders Week and Black in the National Parks Week, which is coming up really soon. And we're so excited to talk to you and tell you about this great week coming up. Nicole, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Why don't you give us a little bit of background about yourself and tell our listeners what you are up to and what you do for nature and our parks and each other? Yeah. So I am Nicole Jackson. I am from Cleveland, Ohio, but live in Columbus, Ohio. A few different things about me. I'm an environmental educator. I'm a bird watcher and I love national parks and public lands. So uh, a lot of my background has to do with connecting people of all different backgrounds uh, to nature and figuring out more ways to help people understand the benefits of nature, but also how to better immerse yourself in nature in a, a more joyful way. Wow, that's absolutely wonderful. And I think it's something that we all love and are working towards really hard right now because we're seeing, maybe even for the first time, a lot of people are noticing the access issues to our national parks. And I think that these kind of weeks are inspiring. I know with Black Birders Week, my nephew and I, we love Black Birders Week and we, we really enjoyed it this year. It, got, it gave us a new way to bond. And so I want to thank you for that because I'm always looking for new ways to bond with my family and something like this, it has a deep impact on people. So the work you're doing, it works. It's creating conversations. It's changing the way that people look at our national parks and nature from all backgrounds. And so Black Birders Week inspires people that are not of color as well. And so thank you so much for really doing that and continuing this because it's just so important to our public lands. Nicole, I'm wondering, what is your background and how did you develop this passion for what you do now? Yeah, so a little bit about my uh, background. I have a big family. I have seven sisters and three brothers. Uh, My mom raised us in Cleveland, Ohio, inner city Cleveland, um, as a single parent. So growing up, I was always with siblings. (laughs) There was never a moment where I wasn't bombarded (laughs) by my family just because, you know, we lived in a small house growing up and there was um, always one of us or a few of us sharing a room uh, with each other. So for me to kind of just reconnect to nature, to just find my alone time, I would be outside, backyard, being in inner city Cleveland, you don't really have a lot of green space to begin with. I mean, we had um, neighborhood parks, city parks, but a lot of concrete, not as many trees. We did have green 
around. It didn't look pleasant. (laughs) So a lot of that, but I mean, we still enjoyed ourselves. We made the best of it. And having that many siblings really put things in perspective for me of just how to engage with others. You know, this with my siblings, we always had fun playing around with each other outside and making up games and um, playing basketball or even going to nearby parks uh, for family reunions or outings. Um, So I still have memories of that. And as I got older, so there's a, a point in my life where I was in foster care and I was actually abused. And that kind of spearheaded my relationship a little bit more with or developing relationship with nature. So that was kind of my escape from the abuse. And um, I was really, really young. So having to, you know, process or at least try to process uh, what I was going through and not really feeling like I had anybody to talk to about it. Nature was always my go-to to to heal and manage my, my feelings and emotions. As time progressed, it became more of like a friendship bond. And it was definitely therapy for me. So as I got older, it, it was more healing. Um, it helped me better connect to self, but also connect to other people by, by sharing my passion for nature and understanding of nature. So for me, you know, you, you always hear these stories of what made you interested in nature or like, what's your connection? And sometimes it's not always a pleasant um, experience. So for me, it was definitely not one of those pleasant experiences, but it taught me a lot. It helped me heal and it helped me reconnect with people um, in a more meaningful way. So I didn't feel so isolated anymore. And then it became a teaching tool. Uh, the more I got to know about nature, you know, the, the trees and the wildlife and things like that, the more I wanted to share with others. And it just, you know, full circle uh, of how we connect to each other. I think that's a really beautiful way to describe how nature can change your mental state. It can help stabilize it. And like you said, it's, uh, it's not often when people come right out and say, my first time in nature was, was hard because yeah. you were dealing with the abuse. And I think that that is a, a very vulnerable place to be. And it's important because your honesty and your vulnerability is helping others understand that they can find this solace as well in our national parks and public lands, state parks and any public lands at all. And I think that that's, uh, that's really important and there's some deep connections there and roots. So thank you for sharing that. And that kind of led right into the question of what does nature mean to you and what it, what's it do for you? Because that's it. And so I think that that's just absolutely important to commend. Yeah, I, I've, I've learned a lot of and I'm continuing to learn a lot of life lessons from being outdoors. And I am an introvert, so I need a lot of time alone to recharge, to be able to continue to engage with other people. And nature definitely allows me to do that. But also just relationship building. It's, it's taught me how to be patient. It's taught me how to take care of myself. And nature is honest. Like, it just tells you the truth. And, you know, either you take it or leave it. But you'll always have something to take away from each experience that you have. And I'm very appreciative and grateful for the opportunities that I've um, had in my lifetime to have those experiences and and get to know nature in that intimate way. Yeah. I think a lot of people have gotten to know nature in this whole COVID quarantine time. Um, Not everyone, we've also seen uh, how not everyone has access to it. For those who have easy access, it's been a really important way to get through this um, difficult period for everybody. 
So, Nicole, how did you become involved with the National Parks Conservation Association? Yeah, so I was, I want to say 2018 um, is when I joined the advisory council group. So um, I wasn't officially part of National Parks Conservation Association before the advisory council. I found out about the opportunity itself through a very good friend of mine, Audrey Peterman, who is a national parks advocate as well. And I believe she was on the board and just reached out to me and and mentioned the advisory council specifically and like, hey, would you be interested in doing this? And I was definitely hesitant. I mean, I loved what it was about in terms of, you know, advocating for national parks, but specifically speaking to policy, that's not something I was very familiar with. So I kind of talked myself out of submitting the application <laughs> at first, just because, you know, I, I just felt like that would have been too overwhelming for me. Then I found out that there are a few members um, from the previous cohort that I knew already. So just knowing that there was going to be a new cohort of people joining together and uh, connecting with people that I already knew was a little bit more comforting versus, you know, these are all strangers. Like I, would have felt uneasy about doing that. So um, once I found that out, it was like, okay, I'll just apply and see what happens. And I went through the interview process and was selected as the cohort for the Midwest region. And like, I didn't realize like how beneficial it was until we started doing more of the work um, within the advisory council. So the National Parks Conservation Association itself is an organization kind of like a Friends of the National Park Service. Um, So it mostly focuses on advocating for the national parks and public lands uh, throughout the United States and just kind of like a cheerleader um, for policy efforts and initiatives uh, for the national parks and public lands. So I thought that was pretty cool. And having to think about what does that mean for me here in Ohio? What policies and initiatives are happening where I live and how is that impacting parks um, on a local level as well as a federal uh, level. And um, that just really opened up, you know, so many opportunities for me to engage in another way. So I think just knowing a little bit more about the National Parks Conservation Association itself was eye-opening, but then the added component was being a part of the advisory council and being able to share my story and my connection to parks but also connecting with the staff and volunteers across the United States and employees um, for MPCA to just see what is everybody doing across the state, what their interests are, what topics they're wanting people to learn more about. So, you know, things like climate change and wildlife policies, um, something that I've never delved into. So I think it was just another opportunity to give myself a little bit more knowledge about those topics. So would you say that the NPCA has challenged you and you have challenged them as well because of the conversations that you get to be a part of? Yeah. So the being on the advisory council, um, I think it's ages 18 to 35. So there's 16 of us uh, across the United States representing different regions. We get to help the MPCA staff, uh, the board, kind of just have conversations with them in terms of what's happening with our areas on a local level and like you know issues that people 
are interested in or want to be involved in um, around advocacy of national parks and public lands. So we get to tell our stories and how we want to connect, but also like this is the community's view. How can they get more involved, whether that be going to uh, Washington and and, um, Washington, D.C. to lobby or even um, education programs, interpretation programs, how we can get people that live in urban areas versus rural areas, um, easy access or or better access to um, national parks and public lands. So just realizing like it's this whole network of things happening and all these different layers, but it all still ties to that passion to connect and preserve these uh, spaces for for future generations. That's wonderful. And so how do you, uh, do you have a specific generation that you're focused on? Are you working to get Um, more diversity? Are you focused on children? What is the mission? Yeah, so the mission is to bring all of those things together. So depending on where you're at within the regions, um, some people are focused on working with seniors, some people are focused on working with kids, um, LGBTQ uh, communities. So I think it's more of depending on where you are geographically and what's happening, I guess, on the bigger political spectrum, because it's, it's coming from both sides, what people are really wanting to invest in and where the gaps need to be filled. So for me, I know living in Ohio, it's very rural, but we have our main cities, so Cleveland, Columbus, um, Cincinnati, and we have one national park, Cuyahoga Valley National Park which is closer to Akron, Cleveland area. And uh, we, we have, I think, eight units, national park units total. So for me, it's just exposing people that I know and have um, done outdoor recreation activities with or education um, relating to national parks and public lands with, that there's more out there than just the national park. And that's the other misconception is that, you know, we only have 62 national parks. But there's there's the national park units, so total, including the the 62 national parks, quote unquote. Um, there's 419 across the United States, so that includes historical sites, national monuments, cultural sites. So there's definitely so much more to explore and learn about. And I think for me, it was definitely wanting to expose the sites we have in Ohio, but also across the United States to get people more interested in in visiting those areas. What do you think your favorite, I I call them the 357 parks because (laughs) there's 357 that aren't national parks, but your seashores monuments. What's your favorite like local home park that's not Cuyahoga Valley, which I love, but um, I'm definitely, so I live in Columbus. I've been here for about 12 years and I love a Metro park system. I actually don't have a license. I don't know how to drive. I haven't learned. <laughs> um, so growing up in Cleveland, you either walked or you took the bus or you carpooled. So moving to uh, Columbus to go to, um, the Ohio State University, it was the same thing. I didn't, necessarily need a car. So I would walk a lot of places, bike, use public transportation. So the parks, I feel like metro parks here in Columbus are definitely, I would say more easily accessible than in Cleveland. I mean, we have our awesome Cleveland metro parks, um, but they're a little bit more closer to the suburbs. So it takes a a good chunk of time uh, to get to them, which I noticed (laughs) was definitely a difference uh, when I moved to Columbus. So I think, I think there's 19 metro parks here in Columbus and I've been to all of them. 
And each one is very unique, but also just letting people know that green spaces can be in urban environments and they can be thriving and people can be using them in different ways, whether you're walking, biking, uh, skateboarding even. So I think there's just opportunities to expand more of that conversation of how we can better use green spaces um, in our environments. How many parks have you been to out of that 419? Do you have any idea? And I have not them? counted, but I, I feel like, so I've just been excited in general just to know more. So for me, it's like whatever chance I get, I will take advantage of it. So that's another reason why I was so grateful to be a part of the advisory council with the National Parks Conservation Association, because each year we've had a retreat with the, the cohort. So I've uh, been to Saguaro National Park in Tucson, Arizona. And then we, this past November, we went to Everglades and Biscayne National Park um, and learning a little bit more about the history uh, behind the development of those parks and just the land itself. For instance, there's a slave that owned the land. It was, it was bought and then it was turned over and became, I think it started out as a national monument and then it became a national park. But uh, the last name is Lancelot, and he wanted to preserve the Everglades and keep it ecologically healthy. So just knowing that history when I was there, it's just like, this is mind-blowing. This is awesome. So those things really helped. And, and even like the current issues around maintaining parks. So like, even though these, these places are absolutely beautiful and you can visit them and enjoy them, there's still issues around, you know, like waste. So a lot of the places that we went to they were gorgeous but you still see trash like in the water floating around so it's like you know we still need to keep up the initiatives with with keeping them maintained and and healthy for for the ecosystems and then making sure they're accessible as well so i think for me like having that opportunity to visit a lot of these places that i didn't know existed i mean i know there's national parks out there but to visit each one was just like they're all very different, but it's all connecting to that same message that we need to preserve them and keep them healthy um, for future generations. So I think I've, I've been to enough to know that there's so much more to see and enjoy. So I'm just ready for whatever opportunity comes up next. Yeah, that's a great lead in and the vision into Black and National Park Week, which mm-hmm. is coming up next week. Yeah. And along with the um, 104th birthday of the National Park Service on August 25th. So can you tell us about that, where the vision came and what we can expect, what we should look for? Yeah. So Black and National Parks Week, it's kind of like an overlap of ideas, kind of right after Black Birders Week. So that was a big event that happened uh, through social media and continues to be uh, referenced, and we've had all of these other events created online specifically relating to STEM as a result of Black Birders Week, which is great. So, we're continuing this conversation again in different ways. For me, this is my second term with the advisory council for MPCA, and I wanted to do something a little bit different. I've overcome a lot of hurdles in terms of connecting with people and talking about things that I didn't really have too much knowledge of, but wanting to know more about, for instance, policy, um, even going to the Capitol to lobby for national parks and learn more about the backlog, which is, again, like it's a huge amount of money that I didn't realize. Like, billion for our backlog. And to know that we just passed the Great American Outdoors Act um, on August 4th, just 
make me so happy because now we have actual funding going towards these backlogs throughout the United States connected to, to national parks and public lands, even um, smaller park projects in different communities. So I was thrilled to, to hear about that. And then I think I just wanted it to kind of go to the next level. I know with 2016, we had the centennial of the national parks, which was great. But again, that was another election year. <laughs> so things are just weird. And again, it's another election year. So it's just weird again and COVID. So just wanting to get back on track with that message of what can things look like moving forward, being more inclusive, creating more opportunities to have better access to our national parks and public lands, and to just better educate the public on how they can be more involved. So for me, creating Black and National Parks Week was something I definitely just always had in the back of my mind. I didn't know how it would look, what ideas would come out of it. But because of Black Birders Week, it gave me a clearer vision of, of how that can be supported because of, of the pandemic situation. So being able to connect with people online was definitely a, a challenge for me just because I was mostly on Facebook. And then having the transition to Twitter and Instagram during Black Birders Week was a lot. <laughs> I didn't realize I would be using my computer that much, um, <laughs> but it was like full force. We're doing this. Okay. But to have people reach out and say, Hey, you were really inspiring. Thanks for sharing your story. You know, I didn't feel like I could because I don't see people that look like me sharing their stories. So it's just like, that was another opportunity to engage. So pretty much the same thing here with Black and uh, National Parks Week. But also speaking to the, the lack of diversity, but also the visitation, lack of visitation by um, African-Americans, which is 2%, I believe. So that definitely needs to change. And thinking about COVID and, and the pandemic, how do we still invest in the, the preservation of our national parks and public lands as we move forward into the next year, uh, but do it more responsibly without, you know, putting ourselves in danger, but also still um, gaining that knowledge of the park system itself and what it means and how we can better contribute to those initiatives and, and moving forward with that education. That's really important. How do you find new people to introduce to nature, whether those be Black individuals or LGBTQ+, or disabled? What, what's the best tool for you, maybe outside of social media, because that one's definitely a huge one. But like, what are some successful ways you found the ability to reach others? Yeah, so I think for me, it's definitely just my enthusiasm and not bombarding people with my nature interests. That's kind of a skill that I've had to <laughs> develop. Not everybody's like instantly interested in nature. Some people eventually come around, but that has to happen on their own time. And I've had to remind myself that many, many times. And it's been interesting because most of my background is environmental education and I've worked a lot with youth and even they're just like, you know, hey, tone it down like this is a little too much. Like, you know, like they're OK with being on their phones or their computers or iPads. But I, I feel like there's definitely an advantage of using technology to connect to nature. So it shouldn't be let's just like get rid of technology altogether. But there's opportunities to do that, to connect people to national parks and public lands. And uh, that's definitely being explored more. Sometimes I'll put together events. I am part of the Natural Leaders Network for the Children in Nature Network. So through that uh, program, I was actually able to create four neighborhood nature events with two other friends of mine. And 
that was um, my way of helping people connect back to their neighborhood and like pocket city parks. That's great. And um, that Children in Nature Network is is that a local or national organization? So that is national. That was actually uh, co-founded by Richard Liu, who wrote Last Child in the Woods. And I think that was back in, I'm going to say 2015. Um, he since wrote a bunch of different books, but it started out um, with reference to nature deficit disorder. So again, that conversation of technology, is it hindering or helping? You know, is there that, that fine line of, of what it means to... Um, have too much technology and how we need to kind of reconnect back to nature to recenter ourselves and we uh, better connect to one another and exposing our kids to those opportunities more. Yeah. I can see where that's really important. And my friend in Chicago and even some um, gardens in Detroit are doing great work to educate people on gardening and touching nature and food and learning how to source food for themselves because these are primarily places that have food deserts um, yes. in these big cities, and which is a huge issue, as sure you're aware of, being from Ohio, because I know yeah. that they're there as well. Mm -hmm. And so I think that it's really important, like you're saying, it's, it's, it's not just digitally connecting. You have to go do the work. If you yeah. want to make these changes, you have to get in there and teach people how to plant a tomato, personally. So you know, because I grew up in Detroit, I didn't know that a pickle was a cucumber mm -hmm. at one point. And I asked Matt, my husband, who's a food writer, I said, can you pickle pickles? <laughs> <laughs> and he just said, uh, no, because they're cucumbers. And, and I literally had no idea <laughs> in my mind. And then that's when I realized the lack of education and food, the lack of access to food is a huge issue in big cities across mm -hmm. America. And seeing how big cities host most of our communities around right. in the United States, it's really important that we start teaching this educational uh, portion to the students that in the areas that we live. And so yeah. I get asked all the time, how do I get involved with the right. national parks? Because they're like thinking the big 62, right? And yep. well, this is our time to tell them, no, go after the 357. Yep. Go after those smaller parks and say, hey, what are some programs in this area? What are schools that I can go and talk to and tutor? I have X, Y, and Z background. Like, you have to do it local. You cannot do a national thing and make true lasting right. impact that's generational. And I think that people need to know that to make a generational impact, you have to be educating your youth and your family and your community. And so that means those people that are in that five mile circle and the ones that you get frustrated with first and the easiest because you know them, <laughs> yep. you have yeah. to really work with them to, to, to make those changes. So I just wanted to lead into that. I think that's interesting because like even with food systems, um, and that's something I learned a lot about working at uh, schools, after school programs, conservatories, and, you know, gardening itself. As much as I wanted people to understand like the awesomeness of healthy food, we were giving people, you know, fresh uh, food every day from, from the garden, um, depending on where I worked, but uh, specifically to underserved communities people of color, black families, and there was still that gap because they didn't know what to do with it. So it's like, okay, I have this radish or I have this cabbage, like, but what do I cook with it? There's still that continued work that needs to happen. It's not going to just, you know, make sense if you give someone an apple or banana or, 
a strawberry even for them to like, okay, this is how I can incorporate this into my, my day to day and very for like holistic learning. And sometimes you have to unlearn things and then relearn <laughs> to, to really like stick and make sense. So that systems thinking type of approach, I think needs to be explored more because again, there's just layers and layers of things that need to be exposed to help people make sense of how to feel, fill those gaps. Cause it's, it's not just one step. It's not just one undone, you know, okay, well I gave a person, you know, something from the garden today, they're set. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's always going to be more work after that. And I think if you're invested in your community and you want to find multiple ways to connect and network, even with people who don't have an environmental background, um, that opens up more doors. Um, and I think about that with like city regional planning, people who have an interest in green infrastructure, architecture, like there's a, there's so many people that I've come to know that don't necessarily like the environment, but these other things connect to it in, in some way. And that ties those pieces together to open up more of those connections and build those networks far and wide. So what do you suggest? How can we participate and get more people on board in this mission? Yeah, so I would definitely explore the National Parks website. So nps.gov has tons and tons of information and it can be very overwhelming. But a good place to start is where you are. And that's essentially what I did. I just knew of Cuyahoga Valley. I just recently found out about Charles Young uh, National Monument and his home uh, further south of Columbus. I didn't even know there were eight park units <laughs> in Ohio. I just thought, you know, okay, there's always just this Cuyahoga Valley. And even that, you know, telling people we have a national park and they're like, where? <laughs> ah! I would definitely just start with where you are, what types of opportunities you can uh, connect with as far as education, trails, just taking that time to explore the site and where you are, I think kind of helps you pinpoint your next adventure or wanting to share it with someone else that's never been or didn't know that there was um, these different sites. So definitely reading up on on those things is helpful. Uh, But also joining like on the social media groups, the National Park Service, the National Parks individually, there's always um, information being put out. There's trivia, there's videos, there's stories. And even you can share your own stories of, you know, your experiences and your connection to those spaces because it all just ties into a bigger narrative and you know you become part of history so I think starting small because it can be very overwhelming is is key so whatever wherever you are whatever state you're in just start with that and and work your way out love it (laughs) so black in the national park week we are coming upon it and so what should we expect each day? Is there going to be a theme? Is there going to be uplifting and representation? Like how, how are we celebrating this week? How can we help our listeners celebrate this week and enjoy this together? Yeah. So um, I didn't explain this before. I don't think so with Black and National Parks, it's, it's going to be celebrating Black excellence specifically within the national parks. And that's all 419 units because it's past, present and future. So we want to recognize the people that came before us, made contributions, African-Americans specifically that have made contributions within the national parks themselves, but also speaking to what's happening now. How are people um, experiencing the parks, conversations they're having, what pictures they're taking, you know, their stories, their narratives, um, but also referencing the history that's already happened. 
there's definitely more room for improvement in how we can be more inclusive, how we can have the, the parks be more accessible. And that's not just, you know, I don't want to say, you know, because it's Black and national parks that it's only speaking to Black experiences. This is all, we're all connected. We're all figuring out what we can do better. But that's not something that's been um, in the mainstream, just the Black narratives, Black voices, and those experiences like out in the forefront. So this is just an opportunity to do that, create a space to have more Black people share their stories and what they want to see uh, for future generations and for future opportunities and to better educate ourselves. So if you're not Black, if you're Indigenous or if you're a person of color or if you're white, um, you can support those efforts. You can amplify those stories and highlight those stories and even gives you an opportunity to say, hey, I haven't been to a historical site or a national monument, maybe I should go check one out and see, you know, what I've learned and share that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Matt and I, we just went to uh, Freedom Riders National Monument, the 16th Street bombing in Birmingham, Alabama, and some of the Montgomery, and in between where Tent City was, which was uh, Lowndes Interpretive Center, and those four parks. I was crushed for two whole weeks. And when I mean that, I mean, it challenged every being of my core to understand that history. And it, uh, it, we were just wrecks for weeks. And it took us months to even talk about our experiences. And then once it did, and we started educating ourselves more because of being there, you feel it. It's so different. These are tough stories. Um, it definitely opens up, you know, it can be very triggering for a lot of people just because, you know, some of that history is tied to their family. So having to visit those places and, and hear those stories can be very jarring and very eye-opening just because, you know, some people have never been and it's just like, okay, this is very new. Um, and sometimes you just have to sit and, you know, you're learning and reflect, but it's, it's showing, even though it's tough and it, a lot of it can be a tough pill to swallow, it's, it's showing us how far we've come and how, how much more work we still have to do. Speaking about how important the National Park Service is to preserve our history, and I think the National Park Service itself has been working hard to come back and tell those harder stories that maybe were not um, its initial intention, so how it's been transforming, and now with this movement, and to continue to create and preserve more areas to continue, uh, we're constantly evolving, and there will always be more stories to tell, good and bad. And it's not just nature, it's our history. And in that, we have to make sure that these diverse populations want to come to the parks and that they remain important and young people. So in that, how are young people and children and families, you touched on it a little bit, but is that specific to the mission of everything that you're doing as well? Yes, I think... uh... I don't have a family of my own, but just coming from a big family in inner city Cleveland, anywhere that we would go, we would like prepare, you know, obviously you're planning and preparing for those longer trips. But a lot of the focus, I think for black individuals, it's not that they don't want to go to these places. I think it's definitely the accessibility, whether you're having to drive far, do you have access to public transportation to get there? but also funding, you know, there's park passes, there's parking fees, money, essentially, that you have to think about, like, you know, do I have to buy gear? Um, Can I just 
you know, walking in tennis shoes versus hiking boots, those things come in, into mind of, you know, that, that you're weighing your options of, is this going to just cost me extra money that I don't need to spend in order to enjoy myself? And I think that's why it's easier for Black people, Black families to go to parks nearby, whether it be a state park or a city park, because there isn't that huge investment in having to spend money. But I think that perception, there's a misperception presented anyway. I don't think that's how it should be, even if you're visiting national parks, that you don't need, you know, a ton of gear, whether you're camping, hiking, kayaking, any of those things. You know, I think families in our national parks, I think they can use these as educational opportunities rather than getaways or vacations. Like think about them as educational uh, opportunities, ongoing education, because that's so important. And I think that's what Danielle focuses about with everybody's national parks. That's what you're focusing on with Mm -hmm. Black in the National Parks Week, Black Birders Week. And that's what we focus on at Hello Ranger. We really focus on trying to introduce the 357 national parks that people don't talk about. We're trying to work on diversity and inclusion from people with adaptive disabilities to invisible disabilities, LGBTQ+, our Black friends and adventurers. so much more. And yeah. I think that this conversation, it just warms my heart because there's so many great things and educational opportunities. These are conversations that I get to have and I'm blessed to be able to have behind the scenes for the last two, three years of my life. But um, having one where people can hear these conversations and the work that's mm-hmm. being done on the micro level that they don't understand, I think that that's a really beautiful thing. So I can't wait to uplift everybody for Black in the National Parks Week. I know Danielle can't either (laughs) um, because we've been talking about it for the last couple of days. And I know that you can't because you obviously have an amazing passion for this. And um, we're just so so honored to have you on as a guest um, for both of our podcasts. Should we be focused looking on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, or all the above? Yes. So all of the above, there isn't a Facebook account. So just using the hashtag Black and National Parks Week or Black and National Parks for Facebook. So for Twitter and Instagram, there are official pages or accounts for those. They're both at Black and NPS Week. Nature is my lifelong friend and I will continue to share that with the world. So yeah, um, I just want to mention in in terms of the safety and comfort, I actually got that from Jose Gonzalez with Latino Outdoors. He's such an awesome, I I love him to death, storyteller, communicator, friend, just his heart is just, I love him. But yeah, I think in in reference to just how can you better help if you're not Black, um, if you're a person of color, if you're white, to support this. Black-owned businesses definitely Um, that support these outdoor engagement activities. So I think of Greening Youth Foundation, which is in Atlanta, Georgia. So they actually work with the national, work in partnership with the National Park Service and HBCUs uh, to get people of color um, access to jobs and internships through the National Park Service. So I think that's one way, you know, to support um, an organization like that because they're doing great things, but also taking opportunities to acknowledge the joy that Black people have in nature. It's not always doom and gloom and like 
we're in this situation with the administration and it being an, an election year and uh, things around social justice and even environmental justice within underserved communities, minority groups. For us, we're, we're looking for solace. We're looking for peace. We're looking for understanding within these hard times because we want to just get to taking care of ourselves, taking care of each other, our communities. And I think nature definitely helps us do that, um, but we can't be divisive about it. Like it's nature is for everyone. So we should be able to present it as such. And um, if we're working together to create that world, I don't think there will be any, any problems in the future. So, yeah. Great. So um, Black in National Parks Week kicks off on Monday, August 24th and runs till Saturday the 29th. And um, we're looking forward to it and we'll both be promoting it as much as we can. Thank you so much for doing that. I appreciate it. And hopefully you learn more and can reach out and and connect with more people and, and learn more about them. Thank you for listening to Everybody's National Parks. You may find links to resources mentioned in this episode in the show notes on our website, everybodysnationalparks.com. Send us your stories, tips, or comments to hello at everybodysnps.com. You can write us a message or even record a short voice memo on your phone and then attach it to the email. You may be featured on an upcoming episode. Again, the email is hello at everybodysnps.com. Subscribe for free to Everybody's National Parks on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. If you like the show, become a patron. Just click on support our show on our homepage, everybodysnationalparks.com. We also appreciate if you write a review, give us a five-star rating, and tell your friends. This helps more people find us. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. We love to hear from you from the parks you are visiting, so please tag us at Hashtag Everybody's National Parks. Most of all, enjoy exploring the national parks with your family. Bye for now.